This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. As part of our 150th anniversary celebration for our church, our sesquicentennial, we've invited pastors from our past to come and join us and share with us a proclamation of God's word. This morning, we have the great privilege of welcoming back Bob Berglund. Bob served as pastor here from 1999 to 2005. Many of you knew Bob and Ellen and their family while they were here and had the great privilege of being led and shepherded by them as our church. Some of you may know this, but in 2002, my wife and I also began attending this church, and so Bob was my pastor. Bob was the one, when we were looking for a church, who reminded us and showed us what it meant to have an authentic love of God an authentic love of people, and a passion to carry that love into the world. And so we were inspired uh, to become part of this church family in those times uh, through uh, scripture, through preaching, through living out faith, and actually through the practice of softball together. And so this morning, it really is my great privilege to welcome Bob back to this place, uh, not just on behalf of our church, but on behalf of myself and my family Oh, Bob, we welcome you, and thank you for coming and joining us. Thank you, Tim. I uh, am blown away by your words. And uh, that was a, a great joy to be at this place in that period of time when we saw wondrous things going on. I remember when we opened things up for worship on a Sunday in December, and uh, Joel Portzer led us over carrying a Bible and we had the Apex marching band in this room and there were none of the sound panels that day in this place and the band was playing and we were marching in and singing and uh, couldn't hear or understand a thing and uh, we had a great time. There was a wonderful meal that followed but uh, I, I just want to commend you for the work and ministry you're doing here, all of your staff and then Sheila uh, sent me a letter of invitation. Uh, we were truly touched by that. It was a different day. It was before COVID. And uh, so I was looking forward to this time when we would all be together. But we are together, brothers and sisters, right now. We're, we're together uh, in our homes. Uh, we're together, the Spirit of God with us. As the book of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Just let us lift our hearts in praise. So let me offer a word of prayer here for just a moment. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a part of your great family. Guide us now as we worship you and lift our praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 145, uh, I think King David must have been feeling pretty good when he wrote this psalm. In fact, uh, in Hebrew, the word praise is Tehillah. And Tehillah, when the Talmud, which is another Jewish writing, began to talk about this particular psalm, it it said this, uh, the man or the woman who repeats the Tehillah of David three times a day may be sure that they are a child of the world to come. That's where I'd like you to put your mind today, on the world to come. You know, there's enough where we think about this world we're in right now, but I'd like you to think about the world to come. And, and when David was giving this psalm of praise, you, you just heard it being read a moment ago, it says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. How often do I do that? Every day. 
Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. You know, in our hymnals, and right now we're not supposed to have hymnals in churches because we don't want to have those things that we, we touch. Uh, but, you know, and it's a strange time. Don't touch hymnals, don't touch each other. We wear masks. And, uh, but, but in this time, I, I'd like you to think about the book of Psalms, those 150 Psalms that are there in that book. And they're not in chronological order or anything like that or by any kind of authorship, anything like that. But think about our hymnals for just a moment. You know, there are those songs that really bring us into the presence of Almighty God in different times of our lives, different times of the year. You know, think about what it would be like if we were not singing Silent Night at Christmas. <laughs> Can't imagine that. Or, or how about we gather early on Easter Sunday morning and, and we, we forget to sing the song, Christ the Lord is risen today. I'm sure I'd hear from somebody, Tim, you'd hear from somebody saying, hey, what happened to that hymn? We're supposed to sing that song. I remember being at this church on 9-11 in 2001 and that day just knocked us out. Ann all called me at home, the parsonage, which is now the church office and and Ann said, are you seeing what's going on? And I said, no, what's happening? And she said, you need to come over here right away. And, and we gathered as a community, not one night, but several nights in a row. And there were those moments when we didn't know what to say. But we knew we needed to be in the presence of God. And there are those moments just like that when it is a song. Somebody begins to sing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound saves a wretch like me. The Talmud said, say this word three times. Three times, the Tehillah. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. A little earlier in the book of Psalms, you go back to Psalm 137. And uh, that wasn't a time when people felt like praising. It was a psalm of lament. And it was this psalm that says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. And on the willows we hung up our, our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors demanded songs of joy. In those moments like that, you don't want to sing anything. And they said this, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How about that psalm of praise, the Tehillah? Sing us that one. That's a great one. How could we sing the Lord's song? in a foreign land. Praise. Thomas Merton, he talked about praise this way. He said, praise is cheap. And you know, that surprised me when I read that by Merton. And, and uh, one of the things about that though, is sometimes our praise, we say the words so often. There are those moments when we just do it by road, if you will. That the words of praise, they become hollow. And, and, and sometimes we do so much talking 
about God that we fail to hear God speaking to us or we make God some kind of fairy godmother or a genie where if God will do this for us, if God will have this happen for us, if God will heal us, if God will fill in the blank, then we'll praise you, Lord. But you know, here we are in these days of COVID-19. You know, I'm reluctant sometimes to even bring that up in the presence of Almighty God. But we say, hey, this life is just stinking right now. How do you expect me to praise God? And how do you expect me to do what they said in the Talmud, to praise God, lift this Tehillah three times a day, you know, and, and, and then maybe my mind will be not on this world but on the next. You know, this is all the world I got my mind on. It's just one we're in right now. Tim read a letter a moment ago, and it was from the Apostle Paul, which was in the New Testament. Paul wrote all kinds of letters in the New Testament, and, and uh, he was writing these letters to new Christians. He was writing these letters to, to newly established churches that were trying to figure out what it means to live as brothers and sisters together in Christ. And you know, there were those times when they were doing a great job, and then there were those times when well, they weren't, they just weren't. And, uh, but he wrote this letter to the Philippians, and they were facing a difficult time. And maybe it was a time such as this when they were saying, hey, why even continue? Why even continue? There was disunity. There was a sense of, hey, I want to be there, but I can't be there. So what do we do? And uh, Paul wrote this. He didn't harshly rebuke them about what was going on. Didn't do that. But he said, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually happened to spread the good news, to spread the gospel, so that it has become known that my imprisonment for Jesus Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he said this. He said, for to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. I'm hard pressed by the two. Paul understood his purpose when he was writing that letter to those Christians at Philippi and he understood the mission of Jesus Christ that had been placed on him and that was given to the church and so he writes letters, he writes letters, whether he's in prison or not, whether he's hard-pressed for the times and circumstances that he's living in, he reminds people of their purpose and their mission. You know, here we are in 2020, and, uh, you know, we've, we've got a mission statement as the United Methodist Church, and it's a whole statement for the whole church. It applies here to Apex, just as it applies to me at the church I'm serving and it's this, the mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This is placed in the Book of Discipline, remains there. You know, they'll be talking about that again. But this mission statement goes on and it talks about the local church is where this mission work happens primarily. 
And the church is not the building, but it's you, it's me. It's what we're baptized to be about, to be in this mission. But there's also more about that mission. It's not so much our mission, it is God's mission. Mission is what God does. And God is already active in this world right now. And one of the amazing things that God does is God invites you. God invites me to be a part of that mission. Now sometimes you say, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Well, well, God will not be without a witness. And so if we're not a part of the, the mission, it'll continue in other people and other places. And God's mission is this. It's to save the world. Save the world that you and I are living in. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he, he said it this way. He said, well, he made every member of one of his societies make a promise. And the promise or the pledge was this, that they would pray for their nation and that they would spread scriptural holiness throughout the world. Now, that's not being political or anything like that. Pray for this place that we call home, wherever it might be. Maybe the United States of America, it may be Afghanistan, it may be South Africa, who knows, wherever that is. But pray for the nation and also pray that the world might be saved. King David, he said it like this in this psalm, he said, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, one generation shall extol your works to another, and they shall declare your mighty acts, and they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendors of your kingdom. My wife Ellen has been reading a lot of books by C.S. Lewis of late, and one of those books that she read was really about C.S. Lewis's wife and when she died. She read another book called A Grief Observed. Perhaps you've read that. But there's a book that she didn't know, and we were talking about it the other night, and it's called The Joyful Christian. And, and, and that book, C.S. Lewis wrote, he said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christian who did the most for this present world are those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, they set out on foot to save the whole Roman Empire. And the great men who build up the Middle Ages, Luther and Calvin, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, they all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And then he wrote this, this statement, C.S. Lewis did. He said, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither, he said. Say it three times. The Tehillim prays, I will extol you, my God and King, every day I will bless you. Even in those moments when it seems like I'm losing everything, even in those moments when it seems like well, things are so hard, I don't know how to even get through to tonight. What's the point? When I was your pastor, I remember the train that you're about to hear perhaps coming by. First night we lived here, Henry Davis, who was the pastor at that time, Henry Davis said this, 
He said, uh, get ready for the train because you're going to hear it. An amazing thing happened. Uh, that night I was asleep in a strange house and heard this train come by and the horn was blaring. It scared me to death. I didn't know if it was Gabriel coming or what, but I jumped up and I realized I don't know where I am in this house and if I run, I'm going to get hurt. You know, but they used to also come to a time, I remember when children would call this the choo-choo train church. And people came to this church. They knew this church not only by the train, but by the praise and the worship and the mission that was taking place at this church. I remember when your pastor and his soon-to-be wife came and joined this congregation. Had a little idea at that moment that that God was working in his life or would work in his life where, where he would become one who would claim a, a vocation that would be pastoral ministry. And now he serves as your pastor. I rejoice and I praise God for that. You know, just a little while ago, I baptized Joette and Jerry Winbury's little granddaughter, Malia. <laughs> and you know what? The thing that's happening there is they're still singing the same song when... Malia and others are baptized, a song that I remember being sung at hundreds of baptisms. Child of promise, God claims you. God helps you, protects you, loves you too. Praise Him every day. I will bless and praise your name forever and ever. What does praise look like today? I want to give you a homework assignment. You know, you may need a piece of paper right now. It's going to come up on the screen, I think, a slide. But uh, I want you to think about this after we've parted ways. And you may talk about this in your small group. You may talk about it with your family. You may just wrestle with it in your own mind. First question is this. I want you to write it down. My life purpose is, then fill in that blank. My life purpose is then fill in the blank. Why are you here? You know, each of you, God has created in a unique and wondrous way. And uh, you've been gifted in ways you may say, hey, wait, no, not me. I don't have any. You've been gifted. God has given you gifts to be a witness. I want you to think about that. My life's purpose is fill in that blank. This is the second part of the homework. I, I want you to, to complete this sentence. I don't fear death because. Let me say it slowly. I don't fear death because. That one might be a little more of a challenge for you. You know, maybe uh, you're saying, I don't even think about that. But you know, as I think about human life, There are a lot of folks that I know who have really known deep and full joy in their life at some point. And for whatever reason, it's, it's just not there. It's disappeared somehow. Maybe it's life circumstances. Maybe it's just being quarantined in this time and you're saying, hey, the joy is gone. Maybe other people have influenced you to stray from the joy that comes through Christ Jesus. Or it could be that you just simply have never really thought about it. Joy, I don't have time for that. 
But until you know the purpose that you have in your life, and that that purpose is worth living and dying for, I believe that we'll live our whole life with no more than an occasional taste of joy. I want joy to be full in you. To be full in you. The Apostle Paul, he writes about it. He writes about it in, in the book of Philippians. You know, he talks about having a joy that is not just occasional. All of the things that seem to take joy out of life, they change when there is a life that is lived in Christ. It says, whether I live, whether I die, my life is in Christ. My life is in Christ. I'm hard-pressed between the two. There was a young missionary who was uh, serving in the mission field in Iraq. And uh, she was there with four other missionaries. And she was executed on March the 14th, 2004. She was 38 years old. Her name was Karen Watson. And uh, she wrote a letter on March the 7th, 2003, just a little over a year before she would die. And uh, she wrote it to her pastors, and it went like this. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my life with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected, and his glory my reward his glory, my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. And I thank you so much for your prayers and your support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. And then he sends this word, and it could be a word for Apex, United Methodist Church, and any church with any name, it's this. Keep sending missionaries out. And keep raising up fine young pastors. She went on and she said, in regard to any service, keep it small and simple. Yes, simply just preach the gospel and be bold and, and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel and give glory and honor to our Father. There's a slide that's going to come up right now and it's something that was included in her letter. It's called the Missionary Heart. It says, care more than some think is wise. Hold on to that. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. And expect more than some think is possible. Karen Watson, she said, I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. And then she said, I love you too, and I love my church family. That's, that's an amazing kind of letter. And you know, when I first read it, I was saying, wow, you know, should I even include that ever in a message? Because it could be so intimidating. People are going to say, I can never 
even match what Karen Watson has done. Well, you know, you and I, we may not change the world like she did. But that's not what God perhaps has called you to be about. But God has given you a sphere of influence. And you know that sphere of influence better than anybody except God. And I'd like you to invest your life in that sphere of influence. First, remember that statement. My life's purpose is. What is that? And that other sentence that goes, I don't fear death because. You know, Paul said it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And that, that's just been rattling around in my head, Tim, ever since I was preparing for this message. And right now, I want it to rattle around in your heads as well. Talk about it. Pray about it. There may be right now a time that someone's just discerning, saying, God, I don't know what this is all about. What has touched my heart in such a way? Talk to your pastor. Talk to any of your pastors. Pray about it. And then we'll be like David. Praise him. I will extol you, my God and my King. I will praise your name every single day. His kingdom is everlasting, brothers and sisters. And his dominion is throughout all generations. Praise the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, I simply pray you take this word and let your Holy Spirit work through it. We give all this to your praise and glory.